You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. All right, so today I'm going to talk about three points. I think you've got them on some notes. If you didn't pick up the notes today, we're going to talk about three questions that we often ask each other. And, and these, three, these three questions are really common, whether you're, you're doing Bible studies, you're listening to a message on a Sunday service, you're talking with friends, and you're involved in mission. And a lot of you, just like we prayed for these teams, the Millsons had a lot of people on missions every year. And, and this is an incredibly important topic. It's one of the central themes of our scriptures in the gospel is the mission. And so in order to get to that foundation and mission, I think that we need to talk about who is God and what is my calling. So we're going to talk about, first of all, who is God? Second of all, what is my calling? And then that'll help us lay a foundation today for how do I serve in missions, Okay. So the mission of God, a lot of us have heard this called the Missio Dei in Latin, the mission of God. And, and this is a central theme in the scriptures. And what this is about is really, it's inseparable from the kingdom of God. So when we talk about the mission of God, it, it's part and parcel with the kingdom. So we've got to know, we've really got to know both ideas and, and combine them, keep them combined. And so it relates to the present coming and, king, and future coming of the kingdom of God. So the kingdom's already come, but it's not fully come. We know this. We receive it as a gift. Last time I was here, about a year ago, we talked about that. What, how important it is to receive the kingdom as a gift. So we often talk about it as we're going to build the kingdom. Scripture doesn't really talk about it that way. Scripture always puts the kingdom of God in terms of receiving it as a gift of grace. And when we receive it, what this kingdom is, it's made up of the ways of God. So his, his justice, his righteousness, his holiness, his freedom, deliverance, healing, all of the things that are God's ways, when we think of his God, God's kingdom coming, it's ways that we receive it. And they're gifts to us by his grace alone. Okay, but it's come in Jesus Christ. It's just not fully come yet. And so this, this really helps us, this background, because... This is not something that is just here in the New Covenant. It's not something that was Old Testament in the Old Covenant. This is something that is, has complete continuity throughout all time. All right, so, so when God established his family through Abraham, and he made the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you for what? If we, if we boil it down and summarize it, so that you can be a blessing to all peoples. He repeats this almost word for word four more times in the scripture, and dozens of more times he repeats it, he paraphrases it. So this is loaded throughout the Old and New Testament, is this idea of the Abrahamic covenant that God blesses a people so that they can be a blessing to others. All right, so, so that's one thing, is that this is the mission of God from all time, is that he blessed us, so that we would continue to be a blessing to others. Another important part of that, it's God's mission. It's the Missio Dei. So we get to participate in God's mission. We always talk about our mission, but this is God's, and we get the privilege of participating in it. Okay, so continuity between the Old and New Testament. Uh, so Jesus Christ, we know, was the kind of the linchpin or the hinge point in history that has to do with mission. So all the Old Testament 
prophesied about Jesus Christ. And when he's walking on the road to Emmaus, this seven-mile journey with two of the disciples, he, he tells them that he explained everything that was taught about him from the scriptures. And he's talking about the Old Testament prophecies. So everything in the Old Testament is associated with the fulfillment of this Abrahamic covenant, this blessing, that, that came as a gift through God's people, his covenant family, but fully came in Jesus Christ. So, so Jesus Christ expresses it all, but now we still take part in this mission that's unfolding, right? Because Jesus is going to come back. So not only do we look back, it's the same mission we've always had, but we look forward because Jesus promised he'd return. And that at the end of all time, he's going to come, and that is the culmination of the kingdom of God that he already brought to us. So there's this complete continuity between Old and New Testament. So when we think of the mission of God, uh, you know, we can't be too myopic and think about what is my mission, right? We are entering a story that is massive. It's an amazing story throughout all history of time that began with the Abrahamic covenant and ends in Jesus' second return. And it's that God, through Jesus Christ, blessed everyone, blessed a people, his covenant people, who by faith in Jesus received the gift of the kingdom to express it as a blessing to all nations and all peoples through all time. Okay, so that's really quick summary of, of what a biblical foundation of mission is. It's not something new, but it's something that's, that's continuously unfolding as a gift to us as we walk in faith in Jesus Christ our Lord who leads the mission, the mission of God. All right, so we've got continuity between Old and New Testaments. We understand the Missio Dei. We think, too, about the Holy Spirit because it's not just this complete same story, right? It's not that continuous. There is incredible new revelation with the New Covenant and the New Testament and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So there's some main differences that in this unfolding of the mission of God. And so when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, this created the church. Jesus Christ established the kingdom on earth, but then he left and he said, I leave that this is going to be better for you because I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit, who then established the church. So how did this establish? Well, there's something radical that happens in Galatians 3. So Paul, Paul is describing this covenant that began with Abraham. And he's, he's showing us the continuity, but he's also showing us this radical new thing that's happening with the Holy Spirit. That, that God unfolding the covenant, he is now... This mystery that's been hidden for all the ages in Jesus Christ has been revealed that the gospel of the kingdom, which includes covenant family, is for all people. It's not just for his covenant family, the Jews, that they've known for thousands of years. Now it's for everyone and Gentiles. Every other nation across the earth is now grafted in and enfolded into the family of God. Okay, so this is the radical newness, the radical new thing that the Holy Spirit did with the coming of the new covenant. Okay, so there's a new thing. And we know that the Holy Spirit's going to continue to lead us and guide us to the end of all things. That's, and when we say the end, it really is the end of mission too. It's the end of mission. So it's not really a mission if it, if it doesn't have a beginning or an end. But we were given a mission to participate in this coming of the kingdom, to be a blessing to all people, 
But it's going to end because Jesus returns and he fulfills it all, finally. So that's what we look forward to, hopefully expectantly. Okay, so to recap, the church, the people of God, must be the vessel to receive the kingdom of God as a gift and proclaim it by the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we can be a blessing to all peoples, which is participation in God's mission. All right, so there's, there's, a ver- there's lots of verses we talk about when we think about biblical mission. Somebody yell it out for me. Just name one of the classic verses on mission. A little bit louder. The Great Commission. Who said that? All right. Shanoa. So, so where's the Great Commission found? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Okay. So this says, Jesus came to them. He's talking to the 11 disciples at the time. And he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, so this, this is the, the preeminent passage of Scripture on, on mission. This is the culmination of of what Jesus really was trying to get into the church, right? So, Because he includes everything. He says, everything I've taught you, I want you to teach them. And I want you to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So what, what stands out to you as foundational in this passage? And actually, can I get somebody, who wants to volunteer and write some notes up here for me? Anyone? Yeah, come on up. That'd be great. If you write, and just, yeah, there's some, there's some uh, dry erase markers right here. Use one of these, not that other one. And then in big letter, big words, let's just one or two words at a time. Let's shout it out. What is foundational about this passage of Scripture to you? Go. What else? Teach. Authority. Make disciples. Baptize. What's really foundational in this? What else? Come on, keep it coming. You can paraphrase, you can share words, whatever. All of the world. You. Okay, so it's a very personal command. He's telling you, his disciples, each one of them individually, that this is their call. This is their commission. What else? Sorry, Sagan. I am with you. It's good. Until the end. So Jesus remains with us. Okay. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight major foundational ideas here that was in this passage of Scripture. And I didn't, I, I, I didn't know which way this was going to go. Um, so I actually thought you would say this. But um, no one mentioned something that I think is the most foundational thing about this whole passage of Scripture. Okay, somebody's saying yes and smiling. What, what, what are you thinking? 
The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Come on. All right. Can I get it? Amen. All right. So, Father, this is incredible. All right. Who is God? This is the first point today. We laid out a little bit of biblical foundation and mission, but we cannot get the foundation of the mission of participation in God's kingdom and blessing all peoples and all nations unless we get this. This is our God. So who is God? Primarily, beginning in the Old Testament and all throughout the New Testament, we have pictures. We have personifications. We have analogies. We have metaphors. We have stories that tell us who God is. And I would offer that the primary one is right here, this picture of the Father. All right, there's nothing that captures so many good ideas about God than his naming himself the Father, Jesus Christ calling him the Father, and the Father calling Jesus Christ the Son. All right, this captures the heart of the kingdom because the kingdom is family. The kingdom is the family of God. And we know, even if we've come from a rough background and we've had a poor example of a parent in our life, it doesn't matter. We still know, we know, we intuitively, because we're created in the image of God, we know what the father should look like, right? We know what a mother should look like on earth. So when we talk about God as our heavenly father, this excites, there's something that happens in us that we say, yes, I want that, I need that, that's good, that's powerful, that's nurturing, that's protecting, that's guiding, that's teaching. All the good things about the kingdom of God can be expressed through him as our father. And it's right there in the preeminent passage about our mission and our commission. The mission of God to bless all peoples. I mean, it captures it in its name itself. The the idea of a father, a loving, protecting, guiding father, is this picture of someone who's going to reproduce in a healthy way. So making disciples— right? That's all part of this. It's, it's a picture of somebody who, when they make disciples, they don't just make somebody for a mission, but the mission naturally flows out of the being and character of God, who is our Father, who is loving and caring. So we have to get this. This is a foundation for us if we're going to get mission. If we're going to even understand how to participate in the mission of God, we need, to, we need to know him as Father. So that there's, there's a lot to do in that. We need to, let's leave today and process that. How do, I, how do I understand the goodness of a Father? How do the biblical passages about our God as Father reflect in my life? How do they not process that well in my life because of my experiences? All these kind of questions we need to process in a community of faith so that we get this idea. Okay, so that's, that's point number one, who is God? Uh, and I would say, just another encouragement. Last time, we, we gave out some gifts here called the Books of the Bible. And it's a fairly new idea. It's actually a really ancient idea, but it's fairly new in publication. They're actually taking out the arbitrary verses, scripture uh, headings, paragraph headings, uh, so that we would just read the Bible as story. And it's called Books of the Bible. And, and it helps us to kind of let go of this myopic view of the scripture in proof texting and reading one verse at a time and 
getting kind of lost in the minor details when God's got this beautiful big story for us to capture. And that he actually transforms us by the form of Scripture, reading it as a story, reading it to each other in a community of faith. So I want to encourage us that that will help us get this idea of the Father if we read Scripture in this way, together as a community. Okay. So, so this is, you guys are brilliant. All these ideas. You, you've got Joe Kirkendall leading you, teaching you every week. This is probably not too new, right? But it needs to be processed in community because sometimes when it's not so new, we get it up here and we need to really get it down in here. So number two, I think this is something that we've probably all asked ourselves, is what is my calling? How many of you have asked yourself or, or heard that asked of you at some point in your life, what is my calling? So most of us, if not all of us. And, and this is an incredibly important question. But again, because we're a consumer-oriented society that thinks about receiving amazing information constantly. We've got guys like Rion Haynes preaching and teaching at Global Sunday School every week. Joe Kirkendall here. Brady, Glenn Packiam, John and Bradley. I mean, it's just such a rich community of faith. We receive so much constantly. We go home and share with our friends and receive, 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 receive. And it kind of, in some way, reflects our consumerist society because we get fat, on receiving, and anorexic on producing. I'm going to say that again. We're, we're one scary thing, and it's a warning for us in our culture today, is that we could have the tendency to get fat on receiving and anorexic on producing. And that, what we just talked about, as the mission of God, is to, is to just be blessed, right? Is to receive everything. It's just to take it all in. No! It's to be blessed so that we can be a blessing and produce and reproduce and make disciples and let it flow naturally out of this place of security knowing our Heavenly Father. Okay, so what, what is our calling? Well, it's hard to answer that question in a society like this, in our culture, where we're used to just receiving all the time. Because what is that question asking? It's asking, in, in a way, what are we to produce? What is our calling? That's what we think about. We immediately go to, what am I to do? That, isn't that what we're really asking when we ask each other that question? We're, we're thinking about, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do, God? We pray this all the time. God, what do you need me to do this week? God, do you want me to take this job? Do you want me to take that job? Do you want me to date this person? What? What do you want me to do, God? And, and this is so far from the biblical concept of calling. So far. And, I, and I'll use something really funny to illustrate this. This is actually, I wasn't going to do this, but this happened to me on Friday. I'm sitting in Starbucks at Briargate, a few miles from here. And literally, it almost some of the conversation was almost word for word like this video clip. So I'm just going to play it here, and I think you can relate to what I'm getting at. 
God is leading me to break up with you. He didn't say we couldn't still be friends. I just feel like Daddy God wants us to take a break. I'm just so fearful of being unequally yoked. The other day in prayer, I had a vision of the man I was supposed to marry and, well, he's not you. He asked me out for coffee, but I don't think he's the one. We went out for coffee and I know he's the one. <laughs> hmm. I'm not ready for marriage. I really want to get married. I'll pray for you. Back off, Philistine. <laughs> I'm just ready for my Boaz. Where's my Samson to tear down the pillars of my loneliness? I'm just so enthralled by the beauty of God's creation. Oh, look, a bird. I should journal. Oh my gosh, I heard he was buying cigarettes. Oh, hi. Oh. She has a real Jezebel spirit. <sighs> She's backslidden. Oh, coffee, I just love coffee in the word. I just love getting in the word. Just let me be an Esther. Let me never be like Potiphar's wife. Lord, you kept your promise to Sarah. Keep your promise to me that I'll find my man. At this point, I don't even want a David. Just give me one of his mighty men. Ah, My whole perspective on dating totally changed after I read all of Josh Harris's books. That Jesus Culture album is seriously so anointed. Oh girl, I totally love Lisa Mavir. I just love how Mark Driscoll speaks to men. Uh, Twitter needs to know this. We need some leaders in our generation. God is love. Enough said. Hashtag boom. God has your boas coming. Those girls will be so encouraged. <laughs> okay. A little over the top, but I think you know what I'm getting at. Is that we, in our culture today, we're driven by circumstances, right? We had a cup of coffee with somebody and we're thinking about marriage. We, uh, the wind blew the wrong direction and it was a sign that God called me to this other job. I mean, these, these are kind of things that we get caught up in today. And what God's intent was, really, that rules would inform us as we're little kids, right? So it's like concrete forms. So if you've ever seen concrete poured or worked with concrete, you, you pound in stakes, you set up the forms, and then you let the concrete flow, you scree it, and it settles into this. And the concrete guides it. So if we're concrete and the ways we're learning to live our life are the concrete— We need rules as little kids. We need lots of them. Lots and lots of good, healthy rules that set boundaries and that reflect and flow from the ways of God. So they come out of Scripture. And if we we are raised in a healthy family where God's values are taught to us, God's ways are taught to us, the forms in our life are the rules. And over time, we see, we begin to see like, for example, in a kindergarten, there's certain rules you don't want to break. You're learning how not to lie. And you remember experiences like this when you saw Johnny lie about Susie and how it broke Susie's heart and she cried and was wrecked. And you say, wow, I see the powerful effect. Even as a kindergartner, you understand this, that Susie's heart was broken and that Johnny should have followed that rule. That was a good rule. I need to learn how not to lie. I need to rule over that in my heart. So out of all these different rules that flow from God's values, over time, as the concrete settles in our life, our character is formed. And we begin to have less rules, and less rules, and less rules, and less rules, so that as our parents take these away, they're helping us learn how to walk in the ways of God and not just be governed 
by strict rules all the time. Because now they see, when we mature in Christ, that we are formed by the ways of God. He doesn't just want us to know his rules. He doesn't just want us to know his ways. He wants us to know him as Father, his ways of operating in the kingdom. So that our character is formed and we can operate fully out of that. Now, this funny video in our circumstances in life today, when, we, when, we're, when we're swayed back and forth by all these circumstances, it's because over time we haven't really been formed enough in our character and in our foundations of knowing our God as Father and knowing what our calling is. So we're swayed by things and we get confused and we think our calling is all these other specific details. Have to do this job. Have to do this. Have to do that. Okay, so what is calling biblically? Calling comes from the word klesis, a Greek word meaning a call or invitation. And in the New Testament context, it's used as an invitation from our Heavenly Father to embrace our election of salvation, which also means embracing our identity as God's child. That's our calling. Biblically, that is our calling. It's to embrace our identity as a child made in God's image. We could do a hundred different jobs because God, we're God's artwork, his masterpiece, it says in Ephesians. And if we are his masterpiece formed with dozens of passions, dozens of interests in life, we could be an artist, a builder, a small business on the side, a discipler of many people, all these things at once. God doesn't want us to quell our passions. He wants those passions to flow as a blessing. That's why he's blessed us with so many passions and interests in life. Now, if we let these things run wild and they're driven by circumstances around us, then we have a totally missed what our calling is. But if we're rooted and grounded in faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that we're his brother, knowing that we are a child of God, then it sets us free to run even faster to pursue these passions he's put on our heart. And he's not, and then we realize it's not going to ruin God's day if we choose this job over this job. But he's more concerned about how we live our life doing that job if we walk in his ways. Okay, so these are foundational, right? Number one, who is God? Number two, what is my calling? So God is our father. Number two, we are his children walking in the full authority of the kingdom family to express all that comes with the kingdom. Righteousness, justice, love, passion, good things that flow from the Father. We receive them as gifts and we let them flow through us. That's being a blessing to all peoples and all nations. Okay, so let's see how much time we have. Joe, what time are we wrapping up? 10.30, okay. So, those are, those are our first two points. And if we can answer those well, then we actually have a foundation to participate in God's mission. Our foundations are secure and set when we know Christ, when we walk with him in faith, and when we know we're a son or a daughter of the Father. We have this adoption in his family. Okay, so how can I participate? Number three, the question we ask that's on your notes is, what can I do to serve? You know, what, what can I do to serve in missions? And I think this, there's a story that, ha- that has 
unfolding right now with Nancy. She stood up earlier, and um, I just want to highlight her and honor her because I'm so encouraged right now with what God's doing this very moment in her life. And it's neat to you. I want to, it just reminds me of a very impacting experience I had as a kid. So my, gr- my grandfather grew up in China until he was 15, speaks, spoke Chinese fluently. And he's in just an amazing, he was an amazing man of God, a great pastor, great missionary, great friend. And my mom has always been very intuitive, and we were out as, as a family having Chinese food in our hometown in Ellensburg when I was in fourth grade. And I remember sitting there, and she noticed something. She needed to talk to one of these workers she saw duck into the kitchen of this Chinese food restaurant. And, and so I think my grandpa set this example for her. She just went and did it. <laughs> so she found out quickly that this person, this worker, couldn't speak a lick of English, nothing, only Mandarin. So she remembered, all right, next time my dad's in town, he speaks Mandarin fluently, I'm going to take him to this restaurant. We're going to go out, we're going to meet this worker and find out what's going on. I don't know why, but I need to talk to this person. So grandpa comes down from Wenatchee, go out to Chinese food. He, she, she tells him about this, he goes straight back to the kitchen. He loves, this is one of his favorite things to do, anywhere where people spoke Chinese. He would just go, he didn't care where it was. He'd walk right back into the kitchen and start talking to him. So, so he's back there getting to know the staff, getting to know the workers, and pretty soon he brings this person out and we're meeting them as a family. And soon after that, this person is living with us in our home. So I, I'm just like floored as a little kid, like, what the heck are you doing, Mom? This person can't even speak English. What are we going to do with this person in our home? And she, her heart was just broke, and tears welled up in her eyes, and she described that what my grandpa had translated and explained to her was that this person had come by invitation of a friend to Ellensburg. How they got to Ellensburg, I don't know. But tiny, tiny little farming community. Ends up working at this Chinese shop. And the first person they'd interacted with when they came into town took advantage of them. They were unjust. And so they told them lies about how much it costs, where they could and couldn't live in town. And they ended up renting out a hotel room to them in a dark alley with no electricity, no bed, no furniture, leaking roof, sleeping on dusty floorboards with rats running around this room. It broke my mom's heart, invited her into our home, and we lived with this person for a while helped her learn English. She helped us do laundry in, in ways that drove my mom nuts. But we like learned how to live together and just do life together and all of that. And right now, that story is the same thing in a little different scenario, but incredibly similar context, is happening with Nancy. And she's just taken this woman who's working in a restaurant in town and facing incredible injustice. Incredible injustice. She's taking her into her home, and they're learning how to do life together. And I'm sure she's probably learning how to, the differences in doing laundry and cooking and all these great things that happen when we bring our cultures and our lives together to face injustice, to stare it down. And so this, I propose, is is one answer. There's many, many, many ways, millions of ways to answer the third question, but this is one answer to do this. Um, so 
I'd like to just read a quote from somebody that I really respect, uh, Walter Brueggemann. He says, The doing of justice is the prophetic invitation to do what needs to be done to enable the poor and the disadvantaged and the neglected to participate in the resources and wealth of the community. Injustice is the outcome of having skewed neighborly processes so that some are put at an unbearable disadvantage. And the gospel invitation is that people intervene to correct those mistaken arrangements. Now, there's a theme throughout Scripture that's called hospitality. And we have, we're learning about this right now. I know you are on Friday nights at the mill. Daniel's right in the middle of an incredible series on hospitality. And this is important. We don't want to miss this. So if I'm repeating it, I don't care. I hope this just goes deeper into your souls because I feel so strongly about this as what God has taught us in his word and his scripture. And I think that this is, there's something that's key, that's mysterious, that's wonderful and beautiful about this idea of hospitality and why it's so prevalent in the scriptures. So this idea, it, the word itself is mentioned seven times in the New Testament, but it's, it's throughout the whole thing, this concept of hospitality. And, and so for those of you who've been listening to Daniel at the Mill, you've probably, he's probably exegeted this word a little bit, and you know what it really is. But we have a warped idea of it because of our culture today. We think of hospitality hotels, hospitality spas, hospitality somebody serving my needs. I go to a hotel I want customer service first. That's our idea of hospitality. It's very selfish. It's very self-centered. And it's very different from the biblical idea of hospitality. So this actually comes uh, from a Greek word. The, the root of the word hospitality in the New Testament is xenos. So that means stranger, foreigner, alien. You've heard of the word xenophobia. It comes from the same Greek word. Stranger, foreigner. That's the fear of a foreigner. But hospitality is the opposite. It's the loving, receiving, serving of a stranger or a foreigner. So it's very, very different from this self-centered idea of I'm going to go to this place, pay a little cash, and I'm going to expect them to just serve me. Hospitality is that we would come alongside someone who's completely different from us, a stranger, and learn how to love them in the ways of the kingdom. It's simple. It's participating in the mission of God in a way that brings that blessing that we've already received into the community of the disadvantaged, like Brueggemann said, the vulnerable, the marginalized, the forgotten. And this happens in all of our neighborhoods. It happens in all of our church gatherings. It happens in all of our workplaces that there's somebody, some people out there who are forgotten. 92 times in the Old Testament, God speaks directly the word ger in Hebrew about the foreigner, about how we can specifically serve and love the foreigner, the stranger, the alien. Okay, so this idea, again, there's continuity between the old and the new. And this is a biblical concept that this is part and parcel 
to what it means to serve in the mission of God is to get this idea of biblical hospitality. All right, so we'll just use one example of the seven in the New Testament. Romans 12.3 says, Continue or contribute to the needs of the saints or followers of Jesus. So that's us in here. Contribute to the needs of the saints and pursue hospitality. Now, if we read that from our cultural lens, we say, contribute to the needs of the saints and pursue hospitality. Oh, that's just affirming the first part of the sentence. That's contributing even more in a serving kind of way to the saints. But what God is telling us to do in the scripture is to not only serve the needs of the saints, but to serve the needs of the foreigner. It's two very different ideas. And to be very intentional about it. So we need to begin to process this with each other in community. How can we serve strangers? How can we do it? God, if this is a command that's so important to you, all throughout the Old and New Testament, how are we going to learn to make space in our lives like Nancy is? How are we going to do that? Can we do it in our neighborhood? Some of us, possibly. Steve Foley and I had a great discussion about that last night on our drive back from Breckenridge. How are we going to do it in our places of work? How are we going to do it in the gatherings we have on the weekends like this? How are we going to do it when we meet strangers in the community? I don't know. We need to wrestle with this, though. We need to learn that it's our calling. It's part of our calling and the mission of God to love the stranger. Well, I'd love to, to give you a little uh, secret into this. I think one of the most powerful ways that we can do this is through humility. It is really, really, really difficult to open up our lives in such a vulnerable way that we can connect with a stranger and somebody completely different from us so deeply that they are blessed, that they really get the kingdom and the ways of God. It takes time. It's not easy. It's difficult. We have to humble ourselves. We have to get ready and get used to being challenged and annoyed and distracted and understand that it's part of the journey. It's part of the process. And that's incredibly humbling. So I want to finish with this video. And then I'd love for us to begin this process. Not now. I don't want to pray a one-minute prayer at the end of this and say, uh, and just expect for all of us suddenly to get a download from the Lord on how we can practice hospitality the rest of our lives. This is a lifelong journey that I want us to continue to ask each other. God, how can I, how can I practice this biblical command? How can I really do this? How can I know the Father even more? How can I know Christ even more deeply in my heart? How can I know my own identity? You know, can, can we get vulnerable and just commit now for the rest of our lives to trusting that we need to process these things with friends? How is my perception of the Father skewed because of the way I interacted with my dad? How is it beautiful because of the way I interacted with my dad? These are all great questions we need to be asking each other. And, and I think that this video right here is from a hero of mine, Jean Vanier, is, uh, it kind of opens up a window for us to begin thinking about this in a new way. To begin thinking about how we can serve 
how we can be hospitable to the stranger. So let's watch this together. On why God set it up so that life comes from surrender and death. It's kind of messed up. Life comes from the recognition that I can't do it on my own, <laughs> that I need help. <laughs> and I cry out for help. That to say, we need a savior. But not a savior who's going to give me necessarily power, but who's going to reveal to me my real identity is not being a Canadian Catholic, but being just myself and that I'm loved by God. So, uh, what are the experiences that make us realize that we're not all-powerful and that we're not God? So it's the experience of my poverty. Or it's like when Pauline um, was angry and she had to discover the magic words. I need your help. Then I need friendship. I need community, I need church, I need God. So it's the touching of our impuissance, our powerlessness. It's when we touch our powerlessness that I, I need your help. And then we discover that fragility, weakness is not an evil, but it can be and should become the place where I can meet people says that we work together and are together. So it's as we touch death and so then I realize that I need a savior. <laughs> I need I need Jesus. Or I need God. I need a presence. I need a presence. So the the strength, the beauty of human beings is that we are capable of doing beautiful things but we're also capable of realizing that we need help. And uh, that I'm not all-powerful, I'm not God, and uh, I need community, I need church, I need Jesus. But we need an experience of vulnerability. Like the danger in our strong civilizations is the last thing we want people to learn is to touch their weaknesses and their vulnerability. You can't ask people to do a curriculum vitae, putting all their weaknesses down. <laughs> you know, have to show that I'm better than others and, and all that. So it's uh, what will help people to become conscious that I need help and that I'm fragile, but at the same time that I'm beautiful. I mean, we can look into the mirror and say, you know, I'm super. And I don't need anyone, I'm just God. Or I can look into the mirror and say, I'm awful. Nobody can love me. How to look into the mirror and say, you know, I'm fragile, I'm weak, I've got brokenness inside of me. It's okay, I'm loved by God. We all have brokenness inside of us. <clears throat> and that's the power of the gospel, is that when we're at our weakest, we're at a point that's really good. We're at a point where we say, Jesus, I need you. I need your help. This burden isn't on me. 
to figure out how to love someone, how to practice hospitality perfectly. But this burden is on you, and I'm going to rely on you and call out to you for help. So I just invite all of us as a community of faith together, let's help each other, encourage each other, build, build each other up on how to practice this idea of hospitality. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, we recognize you as good, as merciful, as long-suffering, as compassionate, as encouraging. And God, we recognize ourselves, made in your image as your kids, adopted into your family. And God, would you help us? We are so weak. God, we don't know what to do most days with how to interact with our neighbor, with how to interact with people that are vulnerable or broken or so different from us that we just don't know what to do with them, how to even start the conversation. So God, would you help us? Would you stir up our hearts, this understanding for your idea of hospitality? God, for your ways of the kingdom. God, would you stir up in us a grace and a fire, and a passion to love people well like you do. God, would you stir up in us a confidence in you that we can walk by your ways, and you're just going to be pleased with this. You're going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful child, for walking in my ways. So God, we receive you into our hearts. God, we receive the grace that you have for us. We receive the gift of the kingdom of God operating in and through us. And God, we pray that we would let this blessing flow. God, that we would be a blessing to all peoples and all nations. In Jesus' name, amen.